Good evening and welcome back into another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We've got Jeremy Spector. We've got Randall J. Sanders. I'm Ronan O'Shea, and we got some great news for you. Spring training has officially begun. The Cubs are back in Mesa. We got a lot to talk about on tonight's show. Uh, some roster moves. The Cubs have once again addressed their bullpen. That's one of the things we're going to look at. Who is the new right-hander that the Cubs have brought in? How is he going to fit into some of those late innings for the Cubs? Um, big news for Ian Happ as well. He wins his arbitration case today against the Chicago Cubs. We'll break down how much money he'll be receiving and where he fits into the mold this upcoming season. Uh, Randall's got updates, spring training numbers, the latest from Mesa. We'll also take a look at the upcoming top prospects in Major League Baseball. Fangraphs recently came out with their top 100 prospects, a couple of Cubs of note on that list. Um, other things to talk about, um, some big-time moves in Major League Baseball. Fernando Tatis gets one of the biggest contracts in Major League Baseball history. And I want to make sure I'm saying that right, Fernando Tatis Jr., it's one of the biggest contracts in Major League Baseball history. We'll talk about it, what it means for the Padres, and a couple other um, important transactions that have happened here on this Friday. As has been the case, every Friday there's a big dump of news that we get right before we come on air, and we're looking forward to sharing that with you tonight. Uh, but like I said, we got Jeremy here, we got Randall. Randall, I want to start with you. It feels like it has been snowing every day in Chicago for the last month. Can you can confirm, is it snowing again tonight? Uh, you know, we're not due any snow tonight, Ronan, but we are due another couple inches of snow on Sunday and Sunday evening. And uh, yeah, the fun never stops here in Chicago in the winter. Jeremy, how are you tonight? What's going on? I'm good. Feeling good. Uh, you know, not much going on. Yeah, a little disappointed with that Blackhawks loss, but loss, but uh, otherwise feeling pretty good. You know, that's something I wanted to ask you both here. This is obviously a Chicago Cubs podcast. We mostly talk baseball and Cubs. Um, but, you know, we got some buddies of the pod here. Ray, in particular, has really been hyping the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. And despite the fact that as we record this pod, I am wearing a Chicago Bulls hat and a Chicago Bulls hoodie, I have seen exactly zero minutes of NBA basketball this season. Is there any truth to it? Is there, is there some uh, positive momentum right now with the Bulls and the Hawks? It seems like Ray at least th uh, thinks so. Well, I can't co comment as much on the Bulls because I also have not watched much Bulls uh, basketball. I know they were playing tonight, and I checked in a little bit as they were playing the 76ers. But the Hawks, the Hawks have had an uh, interesting little time of it. Uh, they've played pretty well over the last nine, ten games, and the young guys – are all picking it up a lot of, I mean, it's a weird season cause they're in a, you know, a division where they're only playing each other. So you're only playing like certain teams. They play the Red Wings a bunch and the Red Wings are terrible. So, but you know, they've, they've been playing pretty well against the top end teams and it's disappointing with guys like Kirby doc, who like they're young stuff, of the future and Jonathan Taves, who we still don't really know what's going on with him. Unfortunately, are out, but the rest of the young guys have been performing pretty well. So it's, it's fun to watch a team with a bunch of young guys that you didn't expect much from be competing. Yeah. Randall, is there hype around the bulls right now? Or is that just sort of a little bit of excitement that they aren't totally awful? You know, I think it's a little bit of that, but I think there's some decent hype around the, the, the bulls. Uh, Zach Levine is going off this season. He deserves to be an all-star and we'll find out in the next couple of days. He did not make the, uh, the starting lineup in the fan vote but we'll learn if he made it as a reserve. And I think a lot of the rest of it is the fact that they aren't awful. It's been a lot of years of Jim Boylan standing on the yes. sideline, being very bald and very sweaty and just kind of yelling. Um, so there's some excitement about having a, a decent head coach. 
And about seeing some of the younger guys grow, I think Pat Williams is going to be real good. Got a lot of that, a lot of athleticism, a lot of defensive ability. Reminds you a little of Lou Aldang. If you're watching him, he's got that kind of skill set. So there's there's some optimism. There's some some pretty good players on this team, and you know it's always the question of evaluating what you have, what what can be traded away maybe for draft assets, and kind of seeing what you have and what it's going to take to build uh, an annual contender. Uh, but you know that's better that's better than it's been for the last little while. They're probably not going to be particularly good by record this year, but that's with a purpose finally. Uh, that they can kind of start the rebuild that they've been spinning their wheels on for the last couple of years. Well, you mentioned the wall dang, that was uh, a bull about the last time I was regularly watching. So that's how long it's been for me at least. Um, but I do hope there's some excitement around the team again, and, and maybe it will be worth watching here in the next couple of years. I had a funny moment this week here in Denver uh, after work, just kind of going for a post-work debrief walk, just kind of burn off some steam in the neighborhood. I had my bulls hat on. I got my first ever, Go Bulls from a random person in Denver. Normally, I got a Cubs hat on or something. I can see a lot of Cubs fans here, a lot of Chicago transplants here along the front range in Colorado. But I kind of was surprised. I didn't know what to say to the guy. Like, are you for real? Like, are we celebrating this team right now? What's going on? I thought it was a pretty funny moment, though. There are Bulls fans in Denver, believe it or not, um, a city that has a pretty decent basketball team actually right now. But uh, I was just kind of curious, you know, what's going on with the Hawks and the Bulls. But we're here to talk Cubs. Lots to get to tonight, but like we have been doing the last couple of weeks, I do want to get started with some trivia. I've got a a series of questions for you both tonight that are more wide-ranging or expansive than we've done the last couple of weeks on the show. So those of you that have been listening loyally, we've done mostly like picking a Cubs year and trying to pick specific stats from that season. We're going a little bit broader with Major League Baseball for this one, and I'm looking forward to your answers. Uh, As always, Jeremy, Randall, think out loud as you're working through these answers. You always bring up some cool names that uh, bring memories back for us. So let's get started here. Question number one, and Jeremy, I am going to have you go second for this one. I want want Randall J. Sanders to lead off. And um, the question initially, I was trying to find some – historical data on service time in the majors. And it's a little bit harder to find than you'd think. So I went with games played instead, kind of the same idea, not the same as service time, but close. So Randall, my question for you, which active player in major league baseball has appeared in the most games at this point in his career? Wow. That is a hell of a question. Active player to have appeared to have appeared in the most games in his career. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and think through the league and, and think who's, who's been around a really long time. Um, oh, boy. Uh, uh, hang on, 2008. I'm, I might go – well, no, that doesn't count. I was going to say Charlie Morton because I know he, he's been in the league since 2008. He's a pitcher, though, so he wouldn't, yeah. be, he wouldn't be a great candidate it, for that. It is a batter. Games uh, yeah, played. So I'm, so, I'm, yeah, trying to, you know, I'm trying to think about guys who have been around for a while, and I'm thinking about uh, – teams that really like employing old guys. So speaking of the Yankees, uh, Brett Gardner, Brett Gardner is okay. going to be a guess and it's, it's one guess, right? We're not doing like a top. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Just try okay. one and we'll Brett work Gardner. Through it here. Brett Gardner is my guess. Jeremy, who you got? I'm going to go with uh, Albert Pujols. Yeah. Jeremy's more on the money with this one. Um, Albert Pujols is number one. 
2,862 games. He's been in the league for 20 years, and he'll be 40 years old this season. So Albert Pujols, number one. You guys want to spitball anybody else in the top five? Randall Gardner's not one of them. Just any other names. It's crazy crazy that of those 2,800-plus career games for Albert Pujols, all 3,000 of them have been against the Cubs, and he's homered in every one of them. (laughs) Every one, right? (laughs) Uh, Yes, Cabrera. Cabrera is second, Jeremy. Uh, that was my two guesses. Pujols and Cabrera. Uh, Cabrera, 2,457. Um, Randall, any guesses on the top five? One of your boys is in there. There's a big-time hint. One of my boys is in there. You know, Ronan, I'm never quite sure who's uh, my boy in this context. It, it could be a player I saw play once. It could be a player I've never seen, and that's what makes him my boy. It's one um, of your guys. It's one of my guys. Uh, oh, oh, I bet Yadier Molina. I bet Yadier Molina is in there. Exactly right. 2,025 games. He is fifth on the ranking. I just want to close out the top five here. So Albert Pujols, number one, Miguel Caprera, number two, three, four, and five is Robinson Cano, Nick Marcakis, and then Yadier Molina. Wow. Uh, other notable names in the top 10, uh, Joey Votto, Ryan Braun, a couple more Randall guys. Braun was a, couple, a guy I was thinking of. Uh, Ray's guy, Edwin Encarnacion in there. And uh, that is kind of rounding out your top 10. Um, nine and 10 would be Alex Gordon and Matt Kemp. And Matt Kemp, we most recently saw with the Colorado Rockies. So we'll see yeah. um, how that plays out. I've got a second part to this question because I did want to tie it back to the Cubs. So of active players in Major League Baseball, and this is either a current Cub or a former Cub, but somebody who's been associated with the Chicago Cubs, um, which either current or former Cub has appeared in the most games as an active player. And Jeremy, you can start off this one. Okay, well, I'm going to have to think about this a little bit. As an active player, a current or former Cub, who would have played in the most games? I'm going to guess – well, I, I'm i just going to th- – I feel like I'm just going to throw a name out, and I don't know. I'm just going to throw a name. I'm going to say Dexter Fowler. Okay. Randall. Uh, right. Anybody other than Fowler that maybe you'd think would be a top on that list? A current or former Cub. Uh, let's see. Boy, this is this is difficult. Your trivia is difficult, Ronan. Your trivia is difficult. Difficult um, and random. That's the diffi- whole point. Difficult and random. That uh, that describes you in a nutshell. Sometimes, Ronan. Um, and let's see. Current or former Cub. You know, I'm not coming up with much here. Fowler, obviously, is a great guess. Um, I got some guesses of guys who are retired now. Um, it's an so active that, player. Yeah, I'll give so you all takes, a hint, too. So that takes him off the list. It is an infielder. An infielder. And you're both going to kick yourselves here uh, at the end of this one. Because he was a pretty big Cubs name. He is no longer on the Cubs. Maybe that helps as well. He is uh, still in the National League, though. Starlin Castro. That's, there you go, yeah, Randall. Number 23rd on the list, 1,486 games, Starlin Castro. Jeremy, your guess to Dexter Fowler was actually a really good one. He was next in line, um, 26th overall, but the next Cubs in line, 1,453 games. So very, very close difference there, about 30 games between Starlin and Dexter. A couple other names that popped out in the 20s. It was like a sea of of, uh, Rockies as much as anything. Ian Desmond, 24th. Gerardo Parra, 25th. A 27th is Daniel Murphy, who I guess just retired, so he would be off the active list. 1,452 games. The next highest Cub, I thought this was interesting, uh, a current Cub, 
any guesses? The most tenured current Cub, two came to mind for me, and it ended up being one other than, you know, one more than the other. I have Rizzo? I, that'd be my guess. I don't know. Rizzo's close, 41st on the list at 1,265 games. Randall, it's an outfielder. An outfielder. Oh. A, current, a current Cub outfielder, uh, I'm going to yeah. guess. Uh, I'm going to guess Jason Hayward. Yeah, Hayward. Exactly right. Yep. I was actually thinking Hayward before when I was thinking Fowler, but then I forgot about him. <laughs> so Jason Hayward, 28th in terms of active players and games played, 1,427 games. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Rizzo, though, the only other Cub, you know, up towards the top of that list, uh, as I mentioned, 1,265 games. And another, like, Rocky Cub mashup in the middle there, Cargo. Carlos Gonzalez, 32, 1,377 games. So some yeah. names in there, interesting names in there. Cargo wasn't a Cub for long, oh, and like he certainly wasn't games. good as a Cub, no, but he, he was, was a Cub. But he did throw his bat multiple times at Coors Field. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so we've got the uh, most active player, I guess, in Major League history uh, currently. That is Albert Pujols. Uh, the most active sort of cub or former cub in Starlin Castro. A couple other different uh, questions now for you. And this one, I am certain that we have talked about this in a text exchange at some point in the last couple of years. But I did want to include it because this was a fan-submitted question. Uh, the biggest Cubs fan in Franklin, Wisconsin, Connor Patrick O'Shea with this submission, and it's a good one. Four players have hit at least 18 career home runs for both the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox. How many of those four players can you name? And this wow. is open. You can both contribute to this one. Four players one. Hit 18 career home runs for both the Cubs and the White Sox. Who are they? One is pretty obvious. That's yes. Sammy. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Sammy's number one on that list. Um, so three others. Who do you got? Is Santo one of them? No, Ron. That's a good question, Randall. Ron Santo had one year with the White Sox. His last year in the majors, he hit five home runs. All right. So, so he, he was got, short of that list. Not one of them, obviously. No. And I think his last year was, without looking it up, I think it was 1974 was his that's, one year with I the White that's Sox. Correct. And, then he hung it up for one year. I'm trying to think like, uh, I'm trying to think of guys who played obviously on both sides. The first one that popped in my head was Lance Johnson, who who's not in home runs. <laughs> no, um, Sammy Sosa is actually a decent hint for. Oh, George Bell. Person. George Bell. Thank you, Jeremy. Okay. Yeah. The man Sosa was traded for also hit at least 18 career home runs for both the Cubs and the Sox. I'll give you a hint for the other two. One, uh, a product of the 1980s, as much as anything. That's the harder of the two answers. The other one is much more recent, and I think you guys will be able to get to a resolution on. Uh, a current player within the last decade who hit at least 18 career home, home runs for both the Cubs and the White Sox. This is, this is a good trivia question. This is mm -hmm. a good trivia question. So, uh, Connor, thank you. This is, this is a quality trivia question. Yeah, I feel like I'm. I know who you're talking about, and it's just I'm just blanking out. Like, I, stupidly, the first name besides Lance Johnson's coming in my head is Mike Olt. <laughs> like, <laughs> stop thinking. I don't know why I'm thinking of all these guys that played like barely any time or not going to hit homers. Um, Let me help a little bit too, just to kind of you know keep the wheels. What about turning. Soto, Giovanni Soto. 
That's a really good guess, Jeremy. That's actually not the answer, but you're very close. I was thinking Soto, but I figured he hadn't hit enough and been on the White Sox long enough. He's on the White Stay Sox behind the plate. There's a hint. Stay, stay in the what, backstop. Castillo? There you go. Wellington Castillo. Castillo. And then the, the player who really I associate most with the 80s um, was a member of uh, some Cubs playoff squad. Wore glasses, like 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 reading glasses on the field, not like athletic glasses. I'll give it to you both here. Uh, why I'm thinking of. Uh... You're close. Oh man. Because like I'm trying to think of, like Leon Durham, but I don't remember him playing for the White Sox. Right. Um, I'm just thinking all Other around side the infield. of the infield. Well, at third base was I'm thinking '84 was Ron Say, and then you had. See, I'm thinking like all all the guys that played for the, on the playoff teams: Sandberg, Dunstan. Uh, those are later '80s, '89, really more. But I mean, Sandberg both. But uh, man, who am I? Think uh, 1989 Cubs. '89 Cubs. He was an All-Star with the Cubs in '88. Was on the team in '89. He also played for the Pirates, the White Sox, the Expos, and the Athletics. In the infield? Uh-huh. Left side of the infield, um, more than anything. Who was the third baseman? Why am I blinking on it? Vance Van- Oh, yeah, Vance Law. And I knew he played for the White Sox. Vance yep. Law. So great question there. A fan-submitted question there from great Connor. Great question. Stumped us. Um, we're going to get him on the show here in the next couple of weeks. He's committed as a guest and a lot to talk about with him. Yeah, definitely. Bring more trivia. I've got two more trivia questions for you guys. One of them's, they're both fun, to be honest with you. Uh, this one's a bit of a free-for-all. Because spring training is starting, all eyes are on Mesa, I want you guys to name as many other sites that the Chicago Cubs have held spring training other than Mesa, Arizona. And, and just to make this a little bit easier, you can just name the city or the location instead of like the specific ballpark or something like that. Well, Catalina. Catalina Island is the obvious one off the coast of LA. That's a great one. Randall, you got any others? Uh, Wrigley Field in California, I believe. The other Wrigley Field, they held spring training there. And do I remember correctly, they've held it, they held it locally a very long time ago, uh, may, maybe here in Illinois or in Wisconsin? Yes, and I'm actually really disappointed in Mr. Illini here for missing the obvious. Champagne. 1901 and 1902, also a pennant-winning team in 1906, trained in Champaign, Illinois. And Jeremy I did not Spector know that. I honestly did not know that. No idea. Some other city names that kind of stood out to me. I thought Randall was going to cheat on this one and say, well, they kind of had a second spring training last year at Chicago at Wrigley <laughs> yeah, Field. Um, but some of the other notable ones, they were in Los Angeles uh, in the early 1900s and the mid-1900s, 1948, 1949. They've also done, held spring training, Santa Monica, California, New Orleans, Vicksburg, wow. Mississippi, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Tampa, Florida, Pasadena, California. You mentioned Catalina Island, um, multiple stints at Catalina, 1922 to 1942, again, later in the 40s and even also in the beginning of the 1950s. In terms of local, Randall, maybe this is what you were thinking of, a uh, French Lick, Indiana, that's sort of local, at least when you think of Lake. Larry Bird? Arizona, absolutely, the home of Larry Bird. That was during uh, World War II, 1943 to 1945. 
The other one that would have been good um, in the late 1960s and most of the 1970s, the Cubs actually trained in Scottsdale before they moved permanently to Mesa in 1979. I was going to guess somewhere else before Mesa in Arizona. Yeah, so Scottsdale in the 1960s, early 1970s, Mesa since 1979, and I thought that'd be a good one. I was wondering, Jeremy, if you knew about Champagne. I did not. down there, if you'd ever heard of it. I, I'd never heard of that. I'd never, no idea they trained in Champagne. I mean, it was, I knew Catalina. That was like a big one. I remember that. Yeah. With the Wrigley. Yeah, Wrigley owned basically the entire island. Uh, yeah. He bought that in like the early 1900s. The team trained there, and then it became kind of a pain in the ass to be far away from everybody else. Yeah, because on own island. Yeah. Um, so they ended up in Mesa. They've been there since 1979. I got one more trivia for you guys here to bring everything home. This is our sixth edition of Behind the Yellow Line, and I have to tip my cap to one of the greatest number sixes of all time, Glenn Allen, White Wine Over the Hill, one of the great Cubs outfielders. He, had a, he hit a historic home run on May 11, 2000, on the rooftop of 1032 Waveland Avenue across the street from Wrigley Field. It's we all remember the, the shoes, folks. Exactly it's right. The, the iconic shoes. call from Chip Carey. It's got to be those red shoes he was wearing that day. My question to you all, what was the estimated distance of that home run? And there's a lot of different sources for it. I'm going to go with the ESPN story, which ran immediately after that game. The estimated distance of that iconic Glen Allen Hill home run. I'm going to put in a 503 here, 500. I was going to say 520. So according to ESPN, it was a 500 foot home run. And when I saw that, I said, there's no way in hell that was just a 500 foot home run. Hit it across the street from the ball car. On top. A multiple story building, right? Um, Caveat or part B of that question. According to Glenn Allen Hill, how far was that ball hit? <laughs> I, I had no idea. Glenn Hill was a manager. His son's playing the minors now. That's he was right. a minor league manager, but I don't know how far it was. Randall, any guesses what Glenn Allen claims he hit it? I'm going to guess Glenn Allen guesses 550. So Glenn Allen Hill is convinced that ball was hit at least 700 feet. And his, <laughs> <laughs> his most recent interview, he said 780. So as he ages, uh, Glenn Allen Hill is adding 100 feet every year, I think, to that home run. Hey, he crushed, pranked that ball. That ball's hit so far. Jeremy, do you know who he hit it off? Who, who the pitcher was for the Milwaukee that day? Well, I was going to say, it wasn't the Brewers. It was the um, Brewers. I, I'll just throw a name out, Cal Eldred. That's a great guess. Uh, it was not Kel Aldred. Steve Woodard was the oh, starter that day from Milwaukee. Um, the Cubs lost that ball game uh, to a 13 and 22 Milwaukee Brewers team. Final score in that game, 14 to eight. It was a four hour, 22 minute game. Oh my God. <laughs> seen by 21,000 people on Thursday, May 11, 2000 at the friendly confines, but an iconic moment. Certainly that Glen Allen Hill home run is going to live on forever. Yeah, that's a huge blast. That That's a crush. And I love watching it, even with uh, Chip Carey's dopey call on it. Yes. Randall, do you have uh, something to add on that? Uh, I don't have something to add on this. We've actually got some uh, minor breaking news. As we record this podcast, the Cubs are bringing back Cameron Mabin on a minor league deal okay. uh, with an invitation to spring training. So he is on his way to Mesa. Uh, a bench piece acquired at the deadline last year, and he will be back with the Cubs in spring camp this year. 
It's a little more depth for the team. Yeah. Look at Randall, man, breaking news, middle breaking of the news. pod, and Randall's monitoring the wires. And I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that. I, I was going to say it last week. I was like looking, I'm like, I feel like Cameron Mabin's a guy because you're talking about how they need somebody to hit left-handed pitching in the outfield, and Cameron Mabin, I mean, it's a minor league deal, but that's what he does. He, he has in his career hit left-handed pitching. That's why they acquired him last year, and, you know, he's sitting around. Why not bring him in on a minor league deal? No harm. Yeah, nothing he to lose pretty, here. He played pretty well for the Cubs, if I recall, last year. Felt like he did. I mean, I don't know if the numbers necessarily backed it up. It wasn't that many games. It was, what, 20 games or so. But it felt like he came up a little bit and performed pretty well. And he's a good athlete in the outfield. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure he's going to compete with Irvin for that spot on the bench. And there will be more moves, I'm sure, as we get closer mm-hmm. to opening day and Entirely a little bit more deals. clarity on the roster. Minor league deals. Absolutely nothing to lose. Um, Jeremy, one more thing I wanted to close with on you before we wrap up trivia here. I just, I'm going to throw a dart for a minute in that game where Glenn Allen Hill hit the, hit the big home run. Who do you think hit cleanup for the Cubs that day? It was the starting third baseman for the 2000 Chicago Cubs. Shane Andrews. Willie green. Willie green was my second guest. <laughs> I was between Shane Andrews, and Willie green and <laughs> Willie green, but Shane Andrews felt more 2000 ish. The uh, player of the game, though, from the Cubs' perspective, just kind of perusing the box score here, a four-for-four day from center fielder Damon Buford and a three-hit day from the captain backstop for that team, the skipper himself, Joe Girardi, with a three-hit day for the Cubs as they got uh, stomped by the Brewers 14-8. That was 2000, you say? Um, Yeah, yeah, so Cal Eldred actually would have been on the White Sox that year. They would have traded for him in the offseason from Milwaukee with with uh, Jose Valentin. So Ray could is probably sitting at home correcting me, being like, "Cal Aldred was a White Sox in 2009 on the Brewers, man." You can hear it from here. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, speaking of Shane Andrews, who you mentioned yeah. a moment ago, he hit a three run home run off the bench in that ball game for the Chicago oh, Cubs. There you go. One other. A couple notable names in that lineup, too. Um, Jose Nieves did not start the game. Jeff Hewson was the starting second baseman. Jose Nieves, though, had four at-bats coming off the bench. Also in the lineup that day for the Cubs at first base, Julio Zuleta. So some big-time names in that Cubs lineup in 2000. Uh, A big day for Glenn Allen Hill, and we salute him on this, our sixth episode of Behind the Yellow Line. It's got to be the shoes. It's got to be the shoes. Uh, I got one other trivia. This is just for... Jeremy, this was a bonus fan request. It does not pertain to the Cubs, but I want to squeeze it in here. We mentioned Connor submitted the question about the Cubs. We also got a trivia request from his daughter, my niece, Tegan, who's got a Simpsons trivia for you, Jeremy. It's a real quick one. Um, In the episode, A Star is Burns, an iconic episode where they have the film festival in Springfield, Homer and Marge pick up the film critic at the airport. And when they meet at the airport, the critic asks a question to Homer first. And the question is, was that thing a pimple or a boil? What was that thing that Homer didn't know what it was? Was it a gummy bear? It was a gummy bear. That is a perfect answer. Tegan's going to love that one. Yeah, there you go. It was a gummy bear. I just picture Homer's voice. It'd be like, actually, it was a gummy bear or something. I just, it was a gummy bear. Good well, fantastic job fantastic all around episode. you guys did great little bonus question there if any listeners of this pod do want to submit any trivia questions please reach out to us we'd love to have it we'll continue to mix it up moving forward uh, but now what everybody's here for randall's been combing through some old box scores what do you got for us tonight randall 
All right, this evening, I do have a box score for you. And I'm actually very proud of my first clue um, because I think you're gonna hear it and go, that's a good clue. My first clue in describing tonight's box score is that a current major league manager pitched in this game. It's a good clue, Randall. Okay. So that is, major that is clue pitched. number one. Yes, a current major league manager pitched in that game. Uh, going elsewhere through the box score here, uh, Phil Coke pitched for one of the involved teams. Interesting. Phil, Phil Coke, longtime major league left-handed pitcher. He pitched for one of the teams in this game. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the box score, what other interesting names stand out here? Uh, Adam Lind. Adam Lind, the former Major League corner infielder. He was in this game, as was Chris Davis. Uh, maybe okay. before he came, became the prolific power and consistent power hitter, same number of home runs every year that he is now. So he hit. Uh, he started this game for one of the involved teams. Do we have any guesses yet? My guess, I mean, it's against Milwaukee. So I'm going to guess the, the game in 2015 with Bryant homered. Bryant's first uh, career homer. Can't stump Jeremy as ever. He is correct. The current I knew Phil league... Coke pitched in that game. That's the one of the <laughs> I don't know who your, the manager is, though. David Ross, current manager of the Chicago Cubs, had to come David in Ross. relief because it was just wow. that horrible of a game. By uh, that, uh, at that point in the game, I was a little bit checked out there. Uh, just a little bit, Jeremy. We, we were still at uh, the then Miller Park. You may have yeah. been somewhere else by that point. Uh, but yes, David Ross actually had to come off the bench and pitch in that game for the Chicago Cubs. It was not pretty, even though Chris Bryant did hit his first major league home run in that game. Um, it, it was not good. But David Ross came off the bench and he pitched a scoreless inning for the Chicago Cubs. He, he uh, closed out that game to whatever extent you could close out a 12 to 4 loss. Um, so that was two historic moments we got to witness that day from the bleachers. In, that was a fun game. Field. I mean, it sucked Miller, on the field. At Miller but it was Park. fun to we go We got to. to see Chris Bryant's first career home run into the, the left center field bullpen. And we got to see future manager David Ross uh, pitch. So two, two wonderful things to see when you go to the ballpark. Randall, who, who started that day for the Cubs? Was it, was it Travis Wood? I thought it was it Travis was, Wood. And he did yeah. not have himself a fun day at, the, at work. No. He allowed four earned, four earned runs, six runs total in four innings. He walked one, struck out three, gave up two home runs. Um, and he was relieved by Edwin Jackson, who, as he often did as a Cub, also did not have a fun day at work, allowing uh, three earned runs without uh, recording a single out. So two individuals that day did not enjoy themselves in Milwaukee. Yeah, I feel like that was towards the end of Travis Woods starting. I feel like he might not have been the rotation for much long after that. What were, how were your memories of that day, uh, Ronan? Well, I, I remember us having a really nice time because, mm -hmm. you know, that 2015 team, and I was thinking that about was this team. earlier today, obviously it was a very, very good team, but, and we mentioned this on an earlier pod, but I thought the three of us were a little bit ahead of the curve. Like we were all in on that team from day one. And while we did not get to go to opening day at Wrigley field, we were at game number two against St. Louis and that was a maybe like a three to one or a two to nothing Cubs victory. It was a low scoring game. Jake pitched. You're right. Yeah. Jake Arrieta pitched. And speaking of that, and with him back in town, Jeremy, you and I that year were also at Jake's 20th victory at the end of the mm -hmm. season in September. And I remember after that game, you and I hitting some of the bars in Wrigleyville and we poured one out for John Lieber, who before that night had been the most recent 20 game winner for the Cubs. That was also the game where Chris Bryant, uh, 
Yes. I believe he, he the rookie record for homers. For home runs. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Um, memorable season, and I just felt like there was some energy around that team. I mean, even Javi coming up at the end of 2014 and, and some of the excitement that he was having. Soler was hitting bombs at that point. Chris Bryant was in the process of being minor league player of the year. We knew that team was going to be good, but I felt like it was late May before the crowds at Wrigley were really, I mean, like really truly filling up. And then the buzz was with that team until now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I remember thinking the first half of that, the first half of that season was like, it was so easy to get into the ballpark. And then the second half, obviously got a lot tougher. Like that, that game you're mentioning against the Cardinals game number two, that game was freezing and we were sitting up at like yeah. the 420 and it was like a, the, the, the game before I think had just been rained out or something, maybe snowed out. And we, we were there, but it was like, we had great seats. It was freezing cold, but it was like, you know, we were right there watching Arietta dominate the Cardinals. Yeah. That prompts a question for me as well. Um, so we were there for Chris Bryant's first career home run. I was in Denver for Javier Baez's first career home run, the extra inning shot to right center of that core team the 2016 world series team and the guys on it, any other like iconic firsts that you guys were at the ballpark. For? Addison Russell, you and I were there together for his first career home run. That's it right. Also the against field. the brewers. Yeah. yeah. Remember that guy running out there on the, I thought it was I remember, security at first. I remember the bleachers were still under construction, right? So no fans were out and left or, or right field. Addie hits the ball into the bleachers and this fan just like appears out there. He gets the ball and then he gets the handcuffs and he's escorted to. I, I thought he was like a worker for the team going to retrieve yeah. the ball at first until security descended on him. A- any other notable firsts, Randall, that you can recall from that? Yes, window? I was actually in the ballpark for Anthony Rizzo's first Cubs home run. Wow. Hmm. Yes. Uh, against the Houston Astros in 2012. I want to say he had just been called up. It would have been a, a summer game, obviously. I want to say sometime in July off the top of my head. He homered into the, uh, the well in right field, uh, the first of many as a member of the Chicago Cubs. Well, good stuff there. Uh, great box score, Randall. That was a fun game, even though it was a loss. And just the excitement around 2015, that's up there. We talked about 2016, obviously being a memorable year with the World Series, 2008 being a very fun season, a 97-win team. 2015's up there with anybody. That Watching that team get better as the season went on was one of the most rewarding things as a Cubs fan. And it obviously paid off the, the Jake performance in Pittsburgh in the wild card game, finally defeating the Cardinals in the playoffs to go to the NLCS. There was so much optimism. And I don't know, maybe we can get to that point here in the next couple of years where we're feeling that excited about a Cubs team. Uh, but with that, let's you know shift gears to the current squad. Enough reminiscing about the good old days. An interesting story today, uh, Chicago Cubs center fielder Ian Happ wins his arbitration case against the Cubs. So he's going to make $4.1 million this upcoming season. Uh, the Cubs had offered $3.25 million, so a pretty significant boost for him in terms of income, and that's going to have a ripple effect you know, for future arbitration meetings for him. Um, with that said, you know, who is Ian Happ here in 2021? We've seen a guy burst on the scene with the Cubs in 2017, spent a good portion of 2019 back in Des Moines, Iowa, was one of their best players last season. Jeremy, as you look ahead to this year, what are you looking out of the 26-year-old who should be the Cubs' everyday center fielder? Yeah, I, 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 we talked a little bit about Ian a couple weeks ago, but um, I'm, a, I'm an Ian Happ fan because he pretty much does everything I, I like you know, ball players to do. Uh, 
they've kind of stuck him in center field. I remember when he first got drafted, he was kind of like possibly a Zobris type player. He could play anywhere. You know, he was a second baseman in college in Cincinnati. Um, but, you know, he's probably not even a great defensive center fielder, but uh, he, he, can, he can go get it. And he takes his walks. He, he hits the ball hard, which is like the two things I look at. Uh, he struggled, obviously, with making contact, and he's had a strikeout issues earlier in his career. But since he came back up in 2019, he's cut that down a lot. Even in 2018, when he was just striking out a ridiculous rate, he still was giving something to the team. Like, he wasn't like a terrible player. He provided something. He was probably, you know, average. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't deserve he, – he had some issues he had to work on. But uh, he, he still was what? Like, I think he had like 1.8 war that year. So it wasn't like he was a net nothing. He was like a nothing. Uh, Ian um, managed to post a 102 OPS plus in 2018. So still 2% above league yeah. average, even in the season that basically got him. He, he takes his walk. But now since 2019, he's cut down his strikeouts. And that's been a huge – and he's been able to do it and not sacrifice really his power and his walking ability. And, and I think, I think he's the type of guy who I thought, you know, last year he could be in for a big breakout. And he, he was, I also thought of Schwarber too, but Schwarber hasn't really kind of done it yet, but uh, Ian Happ, I, I still think I like him. I mean, you look at his last 162 games say, which would be last year and like before in 2019, he's a monster. And so I, I think he's gonna, you know, I think he's a huge part of this team moving forward. What about you, Randall? What do you think about Ian? I, I like Ian Happ. I think there's a lot of value in his skill set. He's fast. He's athletic. He probably is better suited for a corner outfield spot. And as Jeremy said, he plays center field on this team out of necessity. I think had the Cubs been able to get a quality starting center fielder by one means or another, they would have gladly pushed Happ to left uh, and let him play there full time. But as Jeremy said, he's got power for his career or I'm sorry, not for his career, but his last uh, two seasons worth of slugging percentages, 505 and 564. Now those are in small samples, but we know he's got power. Switch hitting is an asset for him, though I believe you've suggested on any number of occasions that he abandon switch hitting and simply go from one side of the plate. Yeah, and, and I mean, and I guess the one thing of that, and you're right, I actually agree with you guys in that collectively I do like Ian Happ, but the, the glaring hole is he's a lot weaker against left-handed pitching is his uh, OPS is about 150 points higher or lower rather. I'm sorry. When there's a left-hander on the mound of his 62 career home runs, 52 have been hit from the other yeah. side of the plate. So there is a bit of a weakness there. And I know that I have the answer on that. I certainly trust the coaching staff more than me, just some guy watching games on TV, but there's a pretty big break in his quality of play from right-handers and left-handers. Yeah. I would only, the only thing I would say is I would just go back, to have him only hit him from one side, I would probably suggest that him as a left-handed batter against lefties would probably be worse than him as a right-handed batter versus lefties, especially since he doesn't really have that much practice with it. Yeah, so Ian Happ, he's never going to be, uh, I think, a great player, but I think he can be good to very good. And, uh, it, you know, good for him for winning his arbitration case because, uh, in general, the players are usually in the right uh, in their, their asking amounts in the arbitration cases. Um, so this will be really the first time we've seen him for a full season since 2018, barring injury. His game totals the last few seasons, obviously 57 games in the shortened season last year, only 58 games in 2019 after the extended stint at Iowa. Um, and again, the last time we saw him over the course of a full season, the results were 
average and not great. And I am looking forward to seeing if the adjustments he made in Iowa that got him called back up and led him to pretty good success last year. I'm willing, I'm interested to see if those translate over a full season now that he's had really three seasons to work on that. You know, something that Ian has brought to the Cubs has been a little bit of stability at the top of the order. I mean, since Fowler left the team after the World Series, the Cubs have struggled to identify that top of the order guy. They've tried everybody. I mean, Rizzo's hit leadoff. Schwarber tried leadoff multiple Bryant. times. Bryant, yeah. But it seems like Ian Happ has sort of established himself, at least with the current roster configuration, that that's the guy who's going to lead off. And there is a benefit when that guy goes first, can knock the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah, you know, I, I was always a fan of Brian or Schwarber leading off because I thought, you know, they could walk and they have power, you know, they're going to get first pitch fastball, but it didn't play out well. And so I guess, uh, as you're saying, you know, you put a half there who had success last year, it's a lot easier for a guy like KB if you're going to slot him two or three, maybe um, to not have that pressure going up there right away. So yeah, I, I think Ian Happ is a very useful player. And I think he it's, I mean, I could see him being a uh, long-term part of the Cubs. So he's a guy that they may need or want to lock down for the future. Well, that, that was my next question, Jeremy. And, you know, Randall, I'll throw this to you first. He's about halfway to free agency. He'd be a free agent in 2024. Um, mileage is going to begin to pile up here in terms of what he gets paid in arbitration. Is he a perfect candidate for an extension at this point? I would think so. Um I think there's a lot of benefit to the Cubs sitting down with him and working something out where they buy out his last three arbitration years and guarantee him uh, a healthy amount of money in exchange for that, not potentially going higher and higher every year. Um, real cool. Cubs decide who extended who not to because you've got Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez all in walk years. You've got Hap, who is an extension candidate. I would have thought Schwarber might have been a candidate for an extension at a certain level of value. He obviously, uh, did, that obviously did not happen. And it's gonna make for some interesting decisions for the Cubs going forward. You've got four, maybe even five guys, if you count Contreras, who would all be candidates for extensions if you want to extend what you believe the competitive window is even longer. And they're obviously not gonna be able to keep all five. So it'll be interesting to see who they decide to prioritize going forward. Something else I want to mention on Ian Happ, and this is where the fanboy stuff kind of comes in. My top priority, of course, is making sure that you've got quality players on the roster and the team is competitive. But in terms of like likable guys on the team, mm -hmm. I mean, Ian Happ's got to be up near the top. Like he's a guy that you want to cheer for. You want to see him be successful in the big leagues. You know what I mean? He's, yeah, a, he's a guy who engages with the fans. He's oh. a very cultured individual. He's got his line of coffee. He plays golf. He reads many leather-bound books. He's a, he's a very interesting individual. He's a very good golfer, like a legit golfer. Um, but, you know, he engages with the fans. He has his own podcast. Yeah. That, uh, you know, with uh, other, you know, a bunch of guys. I mean, they were stuck in lockdown last year. They had nothing to do. But he's got a podcast that he brings on other Cubs on. So, uh, and a couple of Cubs minor leaguers are on there as well. So, he's, he's you know, he seems like a fun a guy and a smart guy. He's got the waffle iron. Uh, so, you know, I like him and he brings a lot, uh, something to the team, obviously a liveliness. You know, I like baseball players and people associated with the sport that are actively trying to build the sport. 
And when you have a major league player, and like we talked about Trevor Bauer a couple of weeks ago, like him or hate him, he's putting together some really interesting behind the scenes footage and giving you like an inside look at an elite major league baseball pitcher in 2021. Ian Happ with his podcast, even he's given you an inside look at like the realities of being in the minor leagues. Think about how difficult it must have been for him to be a 23, 24 year old major leaguer in Chicago of all places, playing for a team competing for a division title and then getting sent back to Des Moines, not pouting, not quitting, not demanding a trade, getting better, working on a new skill set, and coming back better than ever before. Those are the types of stories I think you want to pull for. And the fact that he's accessible and he's sharing some in and outs, I think that's good for the sport. And it's just a reason why, one more reason why I want to see him be successful on the big league field. He's very easy to root for. Yeah. And he should be the leadoff man when we get to opening day here in about a month and a half um, should be the everyday center fielder for the Cubs this year. Although we'll probably see him a little bit in the corners as well. Uh, But good news for Ian Happ. He gets $4.1 million that sets him up for some more earnings in future arbitration cases. And he will be 26 this season. So we'll see what he is. One thing I can say um, definitively the Cubs really need a good year from Ian Happ, right? Like if this team is going to compete in the division, they need him to perform and he's going to be one of those key players this year. They need a good year from almost any, everybody. Exactly. Yeah. There's not They're much depth. Yeah. There, there's very little team. wiggle room. Very little wiggle and room. That's a really good point, Randall. This team needs to get off to a hot start because if they are struggling, I think you're going to see maybe a little bit more aggression in terms of moving some of these guys and maybe not locking them up long-term. So this team has to get off to a good start. If we think Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, those guys are even going to be around by the time we get to August. So Ian Happ's going to be a big part of it. We'll see how that plays out. Um, The Cubs also think that this guy is going to be a big part of the team. They go out and sign 32-year-old right-hander relief pitcher Brandon Workman. It's a a very modest deal, one year, a little over $1 million. Jeremy, what are the Cubs looking for here from the veteran right-hander? Well, they're looking for a repeat of 2019, I think, or a a hope to get there, or anywhere prior to 2020, really. Because uh, 2020, he did not have much success. And he was, you know, he started with the Red Sox, was traded to the Phillies. The Phillies thought they were helping their bullpen because they had some bullpen issues last year with the workmen, and it just did not go well. But you look at him in 2019, and he was excellent. Now, he's not going to, you know, he's going to walk batters. He's always had uh, high walk rates, not the best control necessarily or command. But uh, in 2019, he had very high strikeout rates to go with it, and uh, he throws the curveball mostly. So um, we'll see. I mean, obviously, that's going to look. They're going to look at. They're going to look at him to try to up that uh, K rate. So I, you know, he's a good guy to take a chance on. I think because he's had success recently. You know, you look at 2020. For most guys, I almost everybody, I kind of throw. I kind of you know, I don't really look at even Ian Happ. I kind of take with a grain of salt, you know. Um, so I, I look more at what they were doing at 2019. And so, you know, hopefully the Cubs pitching infrastructure could figure out what was going on there last year. Jeremy, to your point in 2019, uh, he pitched 71 and two thirds innings out of the bullpen for Boston, uh, a walks per nine of 5.7 and a strikeouts per nine of 13.1. So as you said, he's going to, he's going to put base runners on and he's also going to strike them out. 
Got yeah. an interesting history too with David Ross. Um, Ross was one of his catchers in Boston on a world championship team uh, nearly a decade ago, back in 2013. So they've kind of known each other a little bit. Not that that's going to make or break walk, uh, Workman's year, but it's just sort of interesting that there is a connection there with the Cubs skipper and some interesting quotes from the Cubs second year manager today. The expectation with Workman is he's going to be a high leverage guy, late innings, important innings. And if he can pitch like he did in 2019, it's, it'll be a very big boost for this Cubs bullpen. Definitely. I mean, they need pitchers, obviously, and they need their bullpen to really come together. There's a lot of guys in the bullpen, I think, that have talent, that can strike guys out, that have good stuff, that have the ability, you know, to really – it's just a question of figuring out who, which guys are going to break out and perform and which guys aren't. Uh, a couple of years ago, like 2018, 2019, Cubs, I felt like they were stuck with a bunch of guys that didn't have – you know, your Steve Ciszek's of the world, uh, you know, they, yeah, exactly. Brandon Kitzler was another one who they were kind of stuck with, you know, because of the contracts they gave them, but they weren't really guys that are going to strike anybody out. And they, I feel like they have more bullpen flexibility now because they have a bunch of young guys that have, that have good stuff that like, you know, if this guy doesn't work out, we don't, we're not forced to keep him on the roster because we're paying him 5 million this year. We, we could, it's not forced. So, you know, you can look like Jason Adam was a guy last year who kind of came out of nowhere and he pitched pretty well towards the end of the year after being in the alternate site. Cause they figured some things out with him. So a guy like that, I could see, you know, I, I like having those types of flexibility in the bullpen. Cause I feel like in the bullpen, you never know where help's going to come from every year. Yeah. You look at Brandon Workman. Okay. 2019. He's amazing. 2020. He's terrible. So like every year it's kind of a fluctuation. So I feel like, you need to have the flexibility and you, you just want a, a good pile of guys that could come in and flash something and somebody's going to work out and somebody's not. And then that's who you go with. Relievers yeah. are fickle creatures. Never love them because they will not love you back. You can go, you can go from all-star closer to minor league invitee over the course of just a few seasons. Think of all the great closers you've seen who had great years and then faded away. Guys like Dan Kolb, guys like, who am I thinking of? The long-haired guy who is with Tyler, Tyler Derek Turnbow. That's who I'm oh, thinking wow. of. Dan Kolb, Derek Turnbow, even Hector Rondon, who was great for the Cubs. Craig Kimbrell. Okay, you could go, you could go, <laughs> Craig Kimbrell there. Um, but yeah, Hopefully relievers are fickle, stuff. and you know when you don't have the resources to bring in the higher-priced acquisitions, and you don't quite have the velocity at the top of the farm system to bring guys up. Uh, kind of all you can do is take flyers on guys who have had good histories and hope that they stick. And Jeremy Jeffress was that guy for the Cubs last year. Craig, yeah. Craig Kimbrell struggles right out of the gate and Jeffress steps right in and he holds down that closer position until Kimbrell was able to figure it out. So the hope obviously is that Workman can be that next guy kind of off of the, uh, the, the lower tier shopping to refine his form and pitch beginning. It's out of the bullpen. Yeah. And I'm curious if uh, Jeffress or a, uh... Ryan to Paris say who are both, I believe are still free agents. If, if they come back on like a minor league deal, that wouldn't surprise me. I was about to ask if, De if Jeffries had landed anywhere yet. I was really sort of pessimistic about that signing. I mean, like last year was the same deal. It was like, look, if there's anything there, great. If not, no big deal. I just didn't think anything was going to be there. He ended up being one of the most valuable arms in that bullpen without him. They do not win the division last year. Um, so it's kind of surprised that Randall, he has not landed anywhere yet. Has he? He has not. Jeremy Jeffers remains a free agent. Yeah. So I, I feel like him, Tapera, guys they've had some familiarity with, though that could be a name that comes back on a minor league deal, you know. 
Yeah. Because there's a lot. Of, I mean, I, I, I'm not the Cubs sign Maven today as Randall broke on our new on our podcast. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's still a few minor league signings the Cubs make over the next few days, especially before the 22nd when guys really report. Yeah, definitely. Um, but they are down in Mesa. Pitchers and catchers are there. We're starting to get some of those photos and videos coming in. Uh, awesome to see Jake Arrieta back in a Cubs uniform. I know I'm a little bit lukewarm on the signing, but just seeing him back in Cubby Blue is awesome. It's getting me 2016 vibes. It's hit me in all the right places. Not, and big Randall, on the sign, not big on the signing, but real high on the photos. Yeah, I, I feel the same way with John Lester now. It's like I see Jake in the, and I'm like, I was totally cool with Lester going. And now I'm like, I miss John. <laughs> I wish I know. he was here too. And, and I, don't get me wrong. There is nobody on the Cubs next year I want to see dominate more than Jake Arrieta and kind of stick it to all those uh, fans in Philadelphia as much as anything. And the <laughs> Cubs not. need pitching. There's no doubt about it. Um, but it's just so cool to see him. And one of the great images, I think, from the last couple of days has been Jake Arrieta staying late. He does his morning workout. He's throwing his pitches. And instead of hitting the golf course, instead of going out to the sauna, whatever you do at spring training when you're not playing ball, he's hanging around. He's working with the young guys. Some awesome exchange with Advert, who should also be a key arm for the Cubs starting rotation this year. If Jake can do a little bit of that with some of the young guys, that's going to be a really good thing because even though Jake Arrieta in 2021 is not the guy we remember from 2015, 2016, He's got a lot of big time innings under that arm. And if he can, you know, pass some of that wisdom onto the younger pitchers, that's going to be a good thing. And that's something, you know, the fans are going to eat up and I'm right there eating it down going, this is great. Look at him working with the young pitchers. And it's not just the pitching acumen necessarily. Jake Arrieta also has the experience of being that former top prospect who didn't quite pan out with his original club. And he gets demoted and brought back up and sent back up and down and traded uh, and he really finds it with his new team. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mentality to that that he can impart to some of the younger guys too. That just because you weren't great in your first stint doesn't mean you can't still be great. Uh, so to talk about what else he might bring to the club aside from what pitching acumen he has left, there's a lot of mental toughness in Jake Arrieta that he can impart to some of the younger pitchers. Yeah, maybe he can't go anywhere else. I mean, I'm sure golfing's okay, but, you know, they probably got some strict COVID lockdown stuff. So maybe he's stuck there just having to right. hang out with Adbert, <laughs> who I, I hope Adbert is a big part of the rotation this year because I've actually been looking at him, and I think that guy is actually going to be a very key part if the Cubs want to compete would be Adbert Alzali. Yeah, I mean, they need arms in that starting rotation. Um, we're hearing managers from all different teams saying – you're not going to have a lot of, if any, 200 inning pitchers this year is because the workload was so limited last year. So um, Jed Hoyer was saying this week, like the notion of a five-man rotation, forget about it. Not going to happen. There's going to be a lot of different people pitching for every single big league team. Um, they need Adbert to step up, and it's time for him to do it, right? We've been hearing about him for years. He's got a taste of the major leagues now. Um, he's going to be right in the mix in that rotation. If he throws, if he's good, the Cubs are going to have a much better chance of competing with Milwaukee and St. Louis. And maybe, I don't know, they're going to pull something off here and win this division after all. He will totally be right possible. at the middle of it if they do. No doubt about it. Yeah, he, he was actually pretty successful last year if you look at his numbers and the way he was pitching. So, Yeah. Um, we're going to break down in the next couple of weeks as we lead up to opening day, we're going to break down all the individual sort of 
like roster positions for the Cubs. So we'll talk about the outfield. We'll talk about the infield. We're certainly going to deep dive on the starting rotation. We'll have much more to talk about on Advert at that time. Um, but it is spring training. It's early on in spring training. We're getting these pictures from Mesa. Randall, this is the time of the year where every lazy journalist writes the same damn story. X player is somehow magically in the best shape of their life. Randall, would you say at the start of spring training that you today are in the best shape of your life? No, definitely not. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. going to be, I'm going to be intellectually honest with our listeners. Definitely not. You need to crack oh. and pop a little bit. COVID's been crushing us, uh, but we're ready to get out there as well. Um, one of the things we are seeing from spring training, Randall, are some updates on roster numbers. You are one of those world-class contributors to Numbers MLB, a great social media handle, which updates things like jersey numbers. Any updates of note from Cubs camp here that you think we should uh, share with the audience? We do have a couple. Uh, the Cubs have yet to issue a full camp roster, probably waiting on the full squad workouts uh, next week. Um, and in uh, asking some of the, the beat writers who are out there in Arizona without making a pest of myself, that seems to be their feeling too, that we'll get a full camp roster next week. But uh, a couple of higher profile players uh, have been assigned numbers at this point. Jock Peterson takes number 24. Uh, I predicted number one for Jock. Ronan predicted number 99. Uh, as is so often the case, Ronan and I on different extremes of a given dish. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, 24 has been an interesting number. Dexter Fowler obviously is the most prolific recent wearer of it. Uh, Jeremy Jeffress wore it last year out of the bullpen. Leone Smartin, the 2017 late season outfielder, mm -hmm. wore it. And the late great Luis Valbuena was a wearer of number 24. Uh, Trevor Williams, a starting pitcher, he takes number 32. Williams was 57 and then 34 in Pittsburgh. 34 obviously will probably remain uh, out of circulation for a little bit of time, hopefully until the next great player shows up to take it as John Lester did. Uh, but some previous 32s, and this is another checkered list. Tyler Chatwood wore it um, for the second two years of his tenure with the Cubs. Prior to that, it was Brian Dunsing, mm. uh, the left-handed reliever. And after, prior to that, uh, we're going to remember some names here. Dallas Beeler. Oh, yeah. Dallas Beeler. Eli Whiteside. Scott Baker and Chris Volstad, I believe one of the first acquisitions of the Theo Epstein era. Yeah, Carlos Zambrano. He was like 7'5", right? Volstad yeah. was really tall. I think he was like 6'8". Tall individual. Yeah. Um, these last two are not confirmed, actually, because, again, we do not have a full roster, but I'm confident enough in them. Cole Stewart, the pitcher, takes number 37. Josh, Josh Osich, number 37 last year. David Phelps, the year before that. Tim Collins, the year before that. I love Tim Collins. Justin Wilson, the year before that, Brett Anderson, and uh, of course, Travis Wood, number 37 for most of his time as a Cub. And finally, Brandon Workman, whom we just broke down in detail, is listed at number 45. He is, for the most part, a career number 44 wearer, wearing it most of his time with the Red Sox and uh, his brief time with the Phillies. So I'm confident enough in 45. He obviously can't wear number 44 here. It is taken. And some past number 45s, boy, again, some names here, not great. Matt Dermody in 2020, Derek Holland in 2019, no, he... best, best known for giving up that game-ending grand slam to Bryce Harper. Um, uh, Xavier Cedeno wore it in his time as a Cub, as did Anthony Bass, as did Spencer Patton. And we're going to skip back a few names before that. A, uh, a favorite of the podcast here, the big lefty Sean Marshall 
ah, was a yeah. number forty was a number forty five in his time with the Cubs. So we, ho- I certainly hope that a week from now, uh, we are able to it's a number for lefty relievers, right there. It is, you know, certain numbers get typecast like that, and the Cubs seem to to like doing that, giving out certain numbers to certain positions. Uh, hopefully, a week from now, we have uh, more of an update for you. Zach Davies, your number two starter, is still without a listed number as is Jonathan Holder um, elsewhere on the roster. Oh, and Robert Stock, I would be remiss if I didn't mention him. He uh, confirmed to me directly via Twitter that he chose number 89 with the Cubs. That, that's not a spring training number for him. He requested and received jersey number 89. And in fact, no one has ever worn number 89 in a regular season game for the Cubs. So if, wow. he, if he gets into a game wearing number 89, he will be the first individual to do so in a centuries plus history uh, of the franchise. So that's something to look out for. He seems like an interesting dude. Big he time does tweeter. seem like a very interesting cerebral kind of doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah. Dude. I mean, Maybe. I remember him at USC, but yeah, I didn't remember him tweeting as much as he did now. And he tweeted at you, Randall. I, I, I asked him directly wow. because I've, I've gotten impatient He's, waiting for this full roster from the Cubs. Go I, straight to the source. I, that's what I did. I asked Robert, do you have a jersey number with the Cubs yet? He answered me and said that he purposely chose number 89. So I'm not sure what the significance uh, of the number is to Earth him. Year? But he did. Is he not that old? I don't know. You know, I'm not sure. We'll, uh, we'll check that right now. He was, in fact, born in 89. So okay. that could be it. Um, but yes, yeah, so if he enters a game wearing number 89 for the Cubs, he will be the first to do so in the centuries plus year of this centuries plus history of this franchise. So something minor, but also relatively historic to watch out for going into the regular season. I'm surprised there's no photos of like Zach Davies that would have a number on him. You know, that's that's an excellent point. And I think it's a function of um, some changes in the social media side for MLB. And the fact that you don't necessarily have every reporter out there in Mesa right now um, and that workouts are not as open as they used to be. So I imagine it's a combination of all three of those factors, but Mm -hmm. hopefully a week from now we'll have a full roster and I can give everyone the full breakdown uh, that they have, that they are most, most eagerly awaiting. Cause I know everyone wants to know what number Philip Irvin and what number Austin Romine will be wearing. You know, I know, I know people lose sleep over these. Randall, I got a question for you, I, and I don't expect you to have an answer to it. I saw this really quickly today in passing. There was a picture of a bullpen session for the Cubs. Jake was watching. I think Abbott was pitching. That actually wasn't what had caught my attention. There was a gentleman next to Jake who had his right arm in a sling. He had a mask on with, mm-hmm. I believe, number 91, which I think yep. Dennis Rodman I also think David Kaplan today wearing a uh, 91 Rodman jersey with no undershirt on it, showing Ooh. off his tattoos. Do you have any idea who number 91 is with the Cubs right now? Is it a coach, a player? I do. It is a coach. Yeah. You are not the first person to ask about this today. That is Kyle Evans, who is listed as the senior director mm-hmm. of Major League Data and Development, and he is a listed and numbered member of the coaching staff in number 91. I'm not sure if that is a spring thing or if he actually hangs out in the dugout in the regular season occasionally in that number 91 jersey underneath his pullover or whatever. Uh, But that is who that is. That is Kyle Evans, who is a member of the front office and also uh, a member of the coaching staff with an assigned jersey number. Yeah, they brought him from uh, Boston like a year or two ago. He's like one of the data guys, and they put him him on the field. Very cool. He's like a field-level data guy. Things are changing. 
mm-hmm. in baseball, but I saw that and I, I wanted to ask because I didn't I didn't ever see an answer to that. So thank you, Randall. Um, two other things before we move on. One number related, Randall. A minute ago, you mentioned number forty-four. You said obviously that jersey number is taken. Of course, you're talking about Anthony Rizzo, one of the faces of the franchise. Tell you what, though, boys, when I hear number 44, two names come to mind. Kyle Farnsworth and Amari Telemanco. Wow, Amari Telemanco. If you're a fan in the 90s, you remember Amari Telemanco. And Kyle Farnsworth, who did his part to beautify the planet by planting uh, Paul Wilson in Cincinnati. So he planted <laughs> him, and a nice Paul Wilson grew from where he planted him. Wow. You know, Farnsey was fun. That That's the word for him. Um, some great years in the Cubs bullpen. I think he's still playing like semi-pro football in, in Georgia or Florida or something these days. But he was a big part of some, you know, multiple uh, good Cubs teams. And obviously that big playoff team in 2003. And that um, 2001. And, and we will talk a lot about 2001 on this podcast. We're waiting for an opportunity for it, um, but I promise I've got a lot to say about the 2001 Chicago Cubs. Um, before we move on to a look at the updated top 100 prospects, there was one other Cubs move this week that I'd be remiss if we don't mention it. It's not even on our rundown, but it just kind of came back to me. Uh, this week, the Chicago Cubs bring back World Series hero Pedro Strope on a minor league deal. Uh, my question to you guys, well, let's just start with something a little bit more fun. Um, Pedro Strope, maybe favored memory. Like, what do you think of Pedro Strope when you look back on his time as a Cub? You know, Pedro, I, I, I'm sorry, Jeremy, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You probably have a more, much more clear memory than I do. You know, Pedro Strope, uh, an individual of uh, massive personality in his time with the Cubs, all of his teammates uh, speak of his gregariousness in the clubhouse. Anthony Rizzo uh, speaks of his workout regimen, says, and I'm quoting here, he says, uh, let's see, I believe he says, uh, Pedro Strope's prison body, because apparently Pedro Strope keeps himself in great shape. My favorite Pedro Strope memory, the two of them actually don't involve pitching, because there are plenty of pitching memories, but two of them, one of them is getting to play the outfield in an extended extra innings game in Cincinnati, where uh, seemingly the well was dry. And Joe Madden had no choice but to put Pedro Strope in left field. He did not have a ball hit to him, but he was enjoying himself out there, uh, flashing defensive signs to his fellow outfielders, telling them if the ball comes to me, move out of the way so I can get it. And then the other best one is he actually got an at-bat late in a, ga- late in a game late in 2016 against the Pirates. Uh, he made great contact. He lined out hard to center field where Andrew McCutcheon uh, tracked the ball down. And my enduring memory of that is Andrew McCutcheon looking back in towards home plate with a look of shock on his face, as if to say, where did that come from? Did you really just hit that ball that hard? And he looks back at home plate and he gives a little nod before he tosses the ball uh, into the bleachers as the third out. So those are two of my enduring Pedro Strope memories. I thought you were going to mention when he pulled his hamstring. Uh, no, I was not going to. Because <laughs> well, you're, you're talking welcome. about Pedro Strope getting a, an at-bat late in the season, and I'm like, oh. You mean like when Joe had him out there he, trying to beat it down first and pulled his hammy. Um, for me, you know, Pedro Strope just, he just seemed like a fun guy, uh, a fun guy to be around. He had that, you know, the whole hat to the left thing and he always playing pranks in the clubhouse. Uh, another guy who's on social media a lot. Uh, and a guy in that Jake Arietta trade who, you know, he, well, you didn't really think of, was going to bring that much to the Cubs, right? You know, he'd been Texas, he had been Baltimore, you know, he's a relief pitcher. Who would have thought that he'd be here like five years and 
such an important part of those teams as Pedro Strope was. Last year, not so good. He had some injuries. He struggled a bit. I was at a game where he blew it against the Marlins in April. Stunk. Um, so who knows? I wasn't too sad to see him go because I didn't really think he had much left. It's nice to have him in you know, camp. He's on a minor league deal. If he shows anything, who knows? Maybe again, the bullpen, as we were talking about, the bullpen guys come from anywhere. So, but you know, I, I will always be happy for what Pedro Strobe did for the Cubs. He's one of the best relief pitchers in Cubs history. No question. Um, a staple late inning high leverage arm for multiple playoff teams and obviously the World Series champs in 2016. Um, I also have a memory of him that has nothing to do with pitching. Uh, Walk off home run Chris Bryant hit, I think in like August of 2015. Bryant's round and third coming home and all of a sudden Pedro Strope is like high stepping next to him to home plate. Very, very fun moment. I think and- that was Cleveland? Was that Cleveland? It was. It was a makeup game against Cleveland. Uh, postponed from a series at Wrigley much earlier in the season, late August of 2015. But Pedro Strobe, I mean, certainly mm-hmm. one of the all-time great Cubs relief pitchers. I hope in his retirement, once he's done playing, he is a staple at Wrigley Field over the next 20, 30, 40 years. He's got to be out at that ballpark. This fan base, and I think most Cubs fans do recognize how important he was and how good he was in his time in Chicago. But he's a guy who just needs to be celebrated, I think, the rest of his life. I mean, he was a big-time Cubs pitcher and a guy that was easy to cheer for. I think that's actually on the on the cover of a Sports Illustrated is a photo of that home run uh, of Bryant coming down third base and Strope right next to him. I think it was the cover of a Sports Illustrated in like August that year when they were like, you know, the Cubs are on their way or something. Definitely a photo and video worth pulling up. Uh, just a great moment. Again, 2015, we're circling back to the start of the show here. Fun season for the Cubs. Strope's right in the middle of it. That's sad. Will the yes or no question, will Pedro Strobe throw one pitch for the big league Chicago Cubs in 2021? Jeremy, what do you think? I think no. I don't think he makes the club and I don't really see him sticking around. Randall? Uh, I'm also going to go with no. Uh, as, As unfortunate as it might be, I do think he also doesn't make the club. Maybe he goes and pitches at Des Moines and enjoys himself down there, but I don't think he pitches for the big league club this season. You know, I'm really with you guys, but I want to play devil's advocate here. Not only will he pitch for the Cubs in 2021, he will record at least one save. He's going to pick up some sloppy mess that Craig Kimbrell is going to leave in a ball game and get a save for the Cubs. But we'll see. I'm I'm not too optimistic. I just hope that he can retire a Cub and be a part of the organization for the rest of his, um, you know, post-retirement days. Um, Shifting gears now here, looking to the future Cubs, uh, some interesting news this week from Fangraphs. They put out their annual top 100 prospects. Great article published on the 17th by Eric Longenhagen. Worth checking out. Uh, Three Cubs cracked the list, and and I shouldn't say top 100. The list actually swelled to 133 this year. Um, Three Cubs, though, on that list. Brennan Davis, the uh, young outfielder, tops it. He is number 41 on the list with an expected arrival in the majors of not this season, but next year, maybe the year after it. Braylon Marquez, who we saw last year make a, a start for the Cubs late in the season at Sox Park. That did not go well. Um Actually, uh, remind me, though, did he start that game or was he in no, relief? He came no, early. thank you. I, I thought yeah. I was wrong. I didn't. And they get were up to like 10 nothing, and it did not go well. Right, right. I remember it was a bad performance for him. I actually missed that game um, because of a, a conflict, and the Cubs had already clinched. Edward might have started that game. 
Um, but Marquez uh, finishes 113 on that list. The 22-year-old, like we said, made his major league debut. He could be in the mix for the Cubs rotation this year. And then um, the youngest player on that list, under 18 years old, 17.8 years old, Reggie Preciado. He was one of those players that came back from San Diego in the U Darvish trade. Um, let's start at the top of the list with the outfielder, Brennan Davis. 41 on the list. Uh, what, what do you like there in him, Jeremy? I mean, where does he fit into the Cubs plan here over the next couple of years? Well, he was one of the two guys the Cubs drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, him and Cole Roderer. Uh, you know, and, and the knock on Brennan Davis was that he was a great athlete. I think he had like, he was a basketball player in high school. He might've like had a broken arm at some point, if I remember correctly, I think he was committed to go to Miami. Uh, he's from Arizona, interesting family. I think he, he like grew up on a farm or something. He had like llamas. It was, it was a crazy story, but uh, he wasn't much of a baseball player. He wasn't really a baseball, you know, had been a baseball guy, a great athlete. And he had kind of like a funky swing and, and from watching the videos of him, with the Cubs, like you look at a swing now, it's, it's, it's compact. It's a nice swing. Now he hasn't really performed much in games. One, he, he had some injury issues. The Cubs spent a lot of time with him when he first came in, like really working on his swing. You look at the guy he was drafting alongside with Cole Roderer. He's been playing baseball for a long time. He's been up and down, but uh, you know, playing a lot of games. Brian Davis only played like 50 minor league games yeah. last year. COVID um but uh so that knocked out a lot of time too so really really don't know that much but you look at him you look at like how his swing has changed and he has like a really strong swing now a nice compact swing and he's he's a big dude with he can grow into a lot of power so i'm pretty high on him i think i mean there's a lot of risk there obviously but he's a good looking prospect in my opinion marty pv the manager of the iowa cubs who uh oversaw the alternate training site in south end last year he speaks very highly of brennan davis uh, especially his power using the, the old Dodge light tower power. So that's another individual who's been around the game a long time with uh, glowing things to say about him and PV probably a little bit biased, um, but another individual who speaks very highly of him. One of the concerns, and you sort of alluded to this, Jeremy, we just haven't seen a whole lot of him. We don't really know what's there. Um, also some injuries, you know, going back to his high school days as well, some hamstring things have locked him up. He's a tall guy, lean, 6'4", 175, hasn't certainly fully built himself up as an athlete yet, but he is the top-ranked Cubs prospect at this point in time. And uh, the expected arrival date for him, and you got to take this with a grain of salt, especially considering we did not really get a look at any minor leaguers. And I don't just mean us, but scouts, the journalists that cover the minor leaguers, kind of a black hole last year with COVID that we don't really know where everybody's at. But encouraging, just 21 years old, number 41 in the Fangraph's top 100 prospects, and someone that we could see at Wrigley Field at some point maybe in the next two years or so. Um, another name to look at here, Braylon Marquez. We mentioned he made that one appearance in relief last year for the Cubs. It was at Sox Park. It didn't go well. But this, again, is a, a big upside pitcher. Um, uh, just 21 years old, or mm -hmm. maybe I'm off on that. Um, that 22 right. years old. 22. Yeah. Uh, but Randall, what do you got here with Braylon Marquez and does he factor in to the 2021 Chicago Cubs? You know, I, I don't think he'll factor in. I think really the only way he, he does so is uh, pitching in the minor leagues, assuming a full minor league season and just having a, an out of this world season to the point where you don't really have a choice, but to bring him up and pitch him out of the bullpen in the back half of the season and being as, as young as he is, being as relatively inexperienced as he is, aside from last year, he hasn't pitched above class A ball. 
Um, I think the Cubs are going to want to take him very slow. And last year, after the, the reports of him from the alternate training site, and I think after seeing some of the success elsewhere in the major leagues with bringing up these young, hard-throwing prospects and just using them as weapons out of the bullpen, I think the Cubs wanted to see if he might be viable for their eventually short postseason run in that regard. Um, so yeah, I think they're going to want to take it very slow with him. So I don't see him having uh, any, any impact on the 2021 season. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he uh, starts the season maybe at double A and eliminates every issue with him uh, with his repertoire and just pitches so well that the Cubs don't really have a choice, but to bring him up and pitch him out of the bullpen and use him that way. But I don't see that happening. I think they're going to want to take it very slow with him. Yeah. For me, Braylon, uh, we saw last year on the South side, like he was all over the place and I think he's, he's a big dude. He's a big lefty. Uh, I think he probably is not, going to be able to repeat his delivery as well because he's just such a big guy with such long arms and he's got a lot of things going on there when he, he's trying to get them all and so I I, I I know they're going to try to start him but I, I don't feel like he's his his future is as a starter I feel like his future is in the bullpen and we'll see if you know he's going to throw hard he needs to develop some secondary pitches obviously to be a contributor um, so yeah I mean Last year, I was a little surprised they brought him up when they did, but it was, you know, whatever it was the last game of the season, they clinched, see what you got there. And he showed, he showed like he struck out a Brayu on a couple pitches where you're like, okay, like you see all the talent that's there. Uh, he just needs to find some consistency, especially in the upper levels, which as Randall mentioned, he's never done before. And so I think, you know, he was able to overpower some lower level guys just with this fastball and stuff. So I think you're going to, they're going to have to really like, really go into development with him. So I, I don't really foresee him coming up this year as well. I, I, I agree with Randall. He needs more development time. Yeah. Um, you know, the upside is obvious and you alluded to this, Jeremy, you got a guy who's six four, two forty, coming from the left side, sitting high nineties. I mean, routinely throwing the ball 97 miles per hour, he can hit triple digits. And when you're a left-hander who can throw the ball hundred miles per hour and you're six foot four, there's something there. But as you mentioned, Jeremy, he's had difficulty with his command. He's a difficulty sort of replicating the delivery and the motion. Um, the criticism of him from a lot of scouts is sort of a lack of athleticism, which seems sort of ironic when you got a guy who can throw the ball 100 miles per hour, but there's just that inability to replicate it time in and time out. So he's an interesting case. It's why he would land 113 on a list like this. Tons of upside. So still some risk there, no guarantee he's going to be a consistent player, but if he can get things figured out, he's got the tools to certainly be a very, very, um, you know, menacing figure there on the mound. And when you're a left-hander throwing a hundred, there's a spot for you on a lot of teams. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So one last prospect we'll get to, he was technically last on the list, but I mean, as you were saying before we recorded, Jeremy, like there's a very clear difference between number one on the top prospect list and anybody from 70 to 133. So he came up last, uh, Reggie Preciado, 133 on the list. But an interesting note here, the youngest player on the list, he's not even 18 years old. So a lot of excitement around this guy um, may end up making or breaking whether or not this U Darvis trade is going to be impactful for the Chicago Cubs. 6'4", He's not even 18 years old. There's a chance he's going to still continue to grow. The hope here, though, Jeremy, is that this guy is going to be a big-time major league, maybe third baseman. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they'll start him off at shortstop, but if you actually, if you look at the Cubs' lower level minors system, uh, they're stacked at shortstop, so it's going to be hard to figure out who gets to play where, um, especially now you have less teams than you had before uh, with the loss, you know, of a short season team and all that stuff. But so, I, yeah, the expectation obviously is that Preciado might grow and become more of a third baseman. I believe he's a switch hitter. Um, he, he's built himself up a little bit coming from when he first signed with the Padres. And so, yeah, he, there's a lot of guys. We talked about the Darvish trade before um, in our little pre-cast, I guess. But there's a lot, that whole trade, nobody in that trade that they got was kind of a throw in. Everybody had talent. Everybody had upside. There's a lot of risk. There's tons of risk with all of those guys, but everybody had upside and Preciado probably has the most upside of any of those guys where down the road, he could be a future superstar. He could be possibly who knows, maybe a Tatis, but you know, there's obviously tons of risk there, a long way to go to get to that. And there's no guarantee he, he would ever even make that. So but as you mentioned, the youngest guy on the list to be even included on a list like that when you're not even 18 years old, that's a big deal. Yeah. So uh, it's a guy, the Cubs, when they made that trade, they bet on their development process. They weren't acquiring guys that like were kind of like, okay, they're going to come in and compete today. And whatever. this is got, we got a bunch of guys, we got a bunch of clay basically of, you know, tons of talent and we need to mold them in a, in a, way to make them if you look at um Logan Hagen as you mentioned he did a chat and I thought it was kind of funny somebody uh asked him a question they said so the Cubs you know their their system kind of stinks or whatever and he in his first reaction he goes well their young Dominicans are awesome so like there's a, a group of guys they have in the really lower level Dominicans Preciado being one of them um you know Christian Hernandez they brought in some other guys in that trade even uh Mena and uh Santana uh, from the Darvish trade like these are guys that have potential they can be big but they're just so far away and they need to be developed and that's the, the issue with them two names fell off the list from last year's top 100 uh, one of them Nico Horner he's matriculated to the major leagues he'll be in the mix for the Cubs this year the other one Miguel Amaya uh, one of the Cubs top prospects a catcher 65 on the Fangraphs top 100 last year didn't make the top 133 this year any cause for concern with that well I as I mentioned in the chat before uh, somebody asked uh, I think and Longhang mentioned about Amaya he said that he actually had Amaya on his list before getting some feedback from some scouts and he said some scouts were kind of questioning Amaya's power a little bit he said he's and he said he still likes Amaya he says he's got one of the best looking swings in the minors. There's just a question of, will he be able to get to some power? He thinks he's going to be uh majorly like he thinks he'll be a contributor as a catcher. And, you know, he's still young. He's performed pretty much as a young catcher going through the, he's, he's what well, he's like 20 years old and he's gotten up, you know, certain levels. So he's performed above his age. Uh, so I, I'm not super concerned. Uh, I think he's going to be a contributor. It's, it's tough as a catcher. The, fu the funny thing is today on fan graphs, uh, Dan Zimborski po uh, posted his Zips top 100, which is just a computer projection system. Doesn't I mean it takes a little bit into account certain types of skills, but mostly just based on you know computer uh, numbers and his age. Obviously, being that he's a guy, as I mentioned, who's outperformed his age a little bit in the minors. He was the Cubs' highest prospect. He was number 27 on the list, and so it's just I mean he's probably got a higher floor, maybe not as high of an upside as we originally thought he would have but I, i'm not too worried about him i think he's going to be i don't think he'll be a star or anything but i think he'll be able to contribute to a major league baseball team 
Randall, not so much like the Cubs reacting to the Fangraphs top list, but if there is some concern about Amaya's ability to matriculate to the majors and be a regular, you think this Cubs that changes the Cubs plans at all with Wilson? A absolutely. Potentially be um, extended instead of traded. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if you have another starting quality catcher behind Wilson, uh, who's ready to come up in the next season or two, uh, you might be more inclined to trade Wilson or to let him walk when free agency arrives for him. If you don't think Miguel Amaya can be that heir apparent at the starting catcher position, you do everything you can to keep Wilson Contreras because you're not going to get too many guys better than Wilson Contreras. Um, and again, that's another, uh, an, another way that COVID has made it more difficult because that's a full season at a very important developmental position that Miguel Amaya didn't really have. You know, he can do all his work at the alternate training site. He can even go play winter ball where he had uh, a pretty good offensive short season, not even a season, more like a, uh, a, a stint. Mm -hmm. But again, you, you've lost development time for all of these players. They're all a year older, and it's been a full year since many of them were able to play in a competitive minor league game, and especially at the catcher position where you have to do so much with every pitch, every inning, uh, communicating with the pitcher, communicating with the infielders and relaying signals. Um, and again, that's a full year of that that Amaya lost. And without being able to evaluate that properly, you're still not at the point where you know if it's okay to get rid of Wilson uh, via trade or free agency and hope that Amaya can step in. So it's another way that teams are going to have to navigate the effect that COVID has had on the game in evaluating players. I would point out that um, besides Amaya and besides shortstop, catcher is probably the second like strongest spot the Cubs have where they had, they, they, they drafted Ethan Hearn a couple years ago, another young guy, and they signed a few guys as international free agents. Um, Ronnie or Quintero, I, I know is one. And this past year they signed Moises Ballestero. So they have all the, they do have a lot of young talent as well in the catcher spot. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me, you know, as, somebody breaks out as the catcher, but Amaya, I think Maya's going to be a major league contributor uh, sooner rather than later too. And as we mentioned over the next couple of weeks, we will deep dive into all the positions with the Cubs right now, not just the major league roster, but we'll look ahead at maybe some minor leaguers who can contribute here over the next couple of seasons. Uh, running out of time here on the show, we want to bring things home with a quick look around major league baseball, two notable moves here leading up to the recording of this podcast. Taiwan Walker, a name that uh, our buddy Ryan wanted to see in this Cubs rotation this year, not going to be the case. He signs with the New York Mets, two years, 20 million, uh, not quite the consolation prize for Trevor Bauer, I guess, for the Mets, but a pretty interesting arm and, and will certainly help the rotation. But the name I do want to talk about, Fernando Tatis Jr., one of the great young players in Major League Baseball, he gets an unbelievable contract, one of the biggest in all time, 14 years 340 million dollars to be the face of the San Diego Padres for the next decade and a half. Randall, what a deal here as Tatis stays in San Diego long term. Good work if you can get it. Uh, yeah, you know, and this is this is the Padres doing right by their young superstar. I don't think there was any version of events where they didn't extend him eventually, but he's in his what third third year in the major second year in the major leagues. This will be his third. This will be his third. And they have signed him to the biggest free, the biggest contract in major league history. And they have committed nearly a billion dollars. They've committed, I believe, $789 million to Hosmer. Um, 
Hosmer, I'm sorry, the Machado. name is Thank you. Hosmer, Machado, and Tatis over the last few off seasons. $789 million committed long-term to three players. That is investing money in major league players. And it is something that a lot of teams are hesitant to do right now. So good for them. Uh, good for Tatis for being set for life and probably for another three or four generations uh, of his eventual family. And it, it's good for the game for young players to be given contracts like this. It's a crazy deal. Uh, obviously, I, I mean, if you think of Tatis and he performs the way you think he should be for, perform, I mean, this is going to be a steal probably because he's probably going to end up being worth way more than this. But, uh, you know, for, to lock a, guy, a 22-year-old up for 14 years is kind of insane. When you don't know, you get injured, anything could happen. But, uh, you know, like I, like you said, like because the next three years or whatever would be his um, arbitration. So if you factor that out, this is really like a 10-year $300 million, which is basically what Machado got. But, you know, that's a couple of years ago, and that was in the down off season. So you, you would think Tatis would get even more in four years from now if he can performs the way he's performing. So, yeah, you know, they lock him up. That, that's a big deal. And uh, Tatis, he's getting paid, gets the security. I, I wouldn't turn down $340 million, even if I think uh, I might be worth more in four years. That, that's, you know, if somebody offers me fourteen three forty today, I would say done. I'll take yeah. it. I'm, I'm sorry if I did, you know, you're the first, as I saw on Twitter, the first 340 million is the most important 340 million. So, I'd settle for half that. Exactly. So I, you know, that's, a, it's a great deal for him. If you haven't seen footage of him or you've gotten a chance to see him play, do it, go on YouTube, dig up some footage. He is a ton of fun to watch. He's got personality. You look at some of the young superstars in the game right now, um, Juan Soto in DC, Acuna in Atlanta, Tatis is up there with anybody. Um, I'm not convinced necessarily that he is today the best all around shortstop in baseball. I think Lindor maybe is still hanging on to that, but Tatis is certainly the man and he's up and coming and he's going to dominate. And I think it's great to see the Padres trying competing and, and sort of acting like a big market team like they should have been they should have been that the entire time it's nice to see them spending some money and for their fan base um to have players like this that will be the face of the franchise it's good for the sport and it's going to be good for baseball in southern california i'm glad tatis got actual like real money as opposed to as he mentioned acuna who got who signed for 100 million dollars eight-year deal but it's like acuna would be worth way more than that and that one yep. that one seems a little uh tatis you know 340 who knows if you would ever touch that, but Acuna, I'd feel like he would get the hundred million without having to sign it away. But uh, yeah. I, and, and if you're a White Sox fan, uh, our boy Ray, I'm not sure how he feels right. about this today. Uh, you know, you got James Shields coming back, but uh, would have been nice to have Tatis. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I have a very pointed comment that I want to make here to Mr. Ray, who is a loyal listener. I know he's listening right now. He's probably getting to this part of the show by next Thursday or so. So when he hears this, I hope he texts me. Um, Ray is the very first person, and he'll call me every eight weeks or so and say, hey, Ronan, so tell me what happened with the Jose Quintana trade. And for the rest of my life, every time he asks me about Jose Quintana, I'm going to respond and say, how the hell do you trade Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields, of all people, with the White Sox? Shields went on to go 16-35 and 35 in ERA near six in his time on the South and Side. And he was bad before they traded for him. And he was bad before, and the Sox weren't going anywhere. Look, 
you didn't know at that point in time that Tatis Jr. was going to be this awesome. Um, but, hey, I'm going to remind him every time he brings up Quintana, hey, what happened with Tatis? You see that star in San Diego? Imagine Fernando Tatis Jr. in this White Sox lineup with some of the other bats that they have. That's something that's going to give Randall nightmares here the rest of the night. Um, but uh, I'm happy for it. I'm glad he's in San Diego. And as a baseball fan in Denver, I see a lot of the Padres. They're here at Coors Field all the time. And finally, they're worth watching and are going to be a fun team to see. I, I, the last couple of years have been disappointed. Diamondbacks come into town. Yuck, not a whole lot going on there. Um, the Giants, more so when I first moved out here at the end of the World Series run, they had a good team. They've been pretty bad the last couple of years. But those Dodgers and Padres games are going to be a lot of fun. And I hope to be out at Coors Field this summer watching it. Before we bring things home, one last thing. I want to thank two loyal fans who've been listening to our podcast, not named Ray, not named Ryan. Um, first of all, Steven Spector. I want to tip the cap to Steven Spector. Not only has he been a loyal fan of the pod and somebody who is promoting the pod to people all That's across right. Western promoting. Illinois, Eastern Iowa, Western Illinois, Illinois, but he complimented me listening to the last podcast. Randall, he said, Ronan O'Shea is prepared as a host for this podcast. It meant the world to me. Thank you, Steven Spector, for your support. We appreciate it. The other gentleman I want to thank, my old man, my dad, John O'Shea, uh, big time listener of the podcast. He's listening to this right now, probably walking around Lake Glenview, getting his steps in. Randall, he's got a compliment for you. And he has routinely told me, he listens to the pods. We talk once a week. He said, Randall, very articulate in his speech. He enjoys hearing you talk Cubs baseball and we appreciate, uh, you know, some fans of the podcast that are loyal listeners week in and week out. I strive yeah. for articulation. I appreciate the comment, Mr. O'Shea. Good stuff. Uh, we got some guests coming up starting next week. Lots more to talk about. We'll do some roster breakdowns, but that's all we've got for this edition of behind the yellow line for Jeremy Spector and Randall J. Sanders. This is Ronan O'Shea wishing you a good night. We'll see you again next week.